one of those churches where they pick topics to preach on, I doubt they picked these two verses. Not that they're complicated, it's like, just doesn't seem like good material maybe or something, but I know I would have never picked them years ago, but actually they're quite good. Last two verses of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6 is our text, Galatians 6, verse 17 and 18. And forewarning, the sermon ends with a blank that you have to fill in the answer just to give you a heads up, the answer is amen. I'm giving you the answer. And we get there, if you don't get it, I don't know what else to do. All right, I have uh, I almost wrote the title in Spanish, but uh, just because I like the Spanish word for enough. But enough is enough. Do not cause trouble. Enough is enough. Do not cause trouble is the title of the message. Our verses to close out this great book of Galatians is verse 17, from now on let no one cause me trouble because or for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers, amen. Well, I've said it before, I'll say it again, and by the grace of the Lord, I'll say it till I die. I love Christ's church. I love His church. I love everything about it. Uh, I could go on, I'll stop not to bore you, but I still remember the boards that would squeak at East New Hope Baptist Church. I still remember how J.O. Freeman sung. There's just so many things. The hymns, I still remember the times I sat by my daddy, listened to him sing. I love the church. I love Sunday school. I love prayer meeting. I love everything about it. I even love knucklehead people that cause problems all the time. But I, I just, I can't imagine how people live without a relationship with the church. I, I don't know how they do it. Um, but when things happen and affect the church in a negative way, cause problems, troublemakers like Galatians. It grieves my heart. It grieves my heart for a lot of reasons, uh, but um, it is life and it's what we have. There are troublemakers in church, some intentionally, some unintentionally, but they always exist. And it's not difficult for us to understand this. If you love your spouse, you love your kids, and somebody does something to them that causes them grief, it, it grieves you. Somebody would be mean to your wife or mean to your husband, and it grieves you that somebody would treat them like that, or especially your kids, if they were to say something, do something to your children, it would grieve you that somebody would talk to your kid that type of way. So it's not hard for us to grasp that. If you love the church, you get it. Things are done that give the church a bad name, it grieves my heart. Well, the Apostle Paul, I think it's safe to say, it's not a hard point to make, but I think the Apostle Paul loved the church. He loved the churches in the Galatia region. And um, he had a great concern for them. So when you had troublemakers that came in and caused the church grief, I think it broke his heart. And you have heartbrokenness. There's all kinds of ways to respond. Uh, but one thing you've got to do in Paul's position is, is you've got to confront the troublemaker. You've got to say, enough's enough. Stop causing me trouble. And um, this is what Paul does in, in this great book. Uh, it's why he's written the letter in such direct language. 
And now he's come to the end of his letter, quite lengthy letter at that time, early on, one of his longest letters. And, um, and now he's basically saying, look, if you're not going to walk according to this rule, there's the door. Move on. You look back in the previous verses there, and he talks about walking uh, in verse uh, 16. And, and as for all who walk by this rule, well, those who do that, there's peace and there's mercy. But if you're not going to walk in agreement with the things I've laid out in this letter, Paul is saying, well, you know, I've pretty much had my fill of you. Move on. You know, like the way things are done under the right gospel, go find you a wrong gospel somewhere else. But we're done with you and your problems that you cause. That's basically the idea here. What are the main, and for us, I ask this question, so it's kind of like uh, maybe more from my view, and your view may be different, and that's fine, but what are the main causes of trouble? I mean, I don't think we're getting a lot of trouble today about circumcision, so uh, what are the main causes of trouble in a church in, in our day and age? I may be a little bit off, but these are the things that stand out or have stood out to me over the years. Um, doctrinal desertion. And people abandon good doctrine. And this one never seems to go away. I don't know. Drama-driven attention seekers. If there's not a drama, they'll create a drama just where there can be drama in order that somebody will pay them attention. And on and on and on. When one drama's done, they come up with drama number two. And if it's not enough in the church, then they've got to put it on social media to get everybody involved in the drama. Then there's sinful apostasy. People get caught up in sin, just apostatize from the church. Grievous thing. Carnal priorities, always a problem to the church. And pastors and church people just, it is, their hearts break and their minds are racked. Why in the world do people give so much attention to the carnal rather than to the things of God? And then you have uncommitted confessors. You got all these people in the church confessing they believe in Jesus but they're not committed to serve in any capacity. And then you got lukewarm laziness. They're not hot. They're not cold. They're just kind of hanging out, basically just lazy Christianity. And then the one that really gets under my skin, I'm not very patient with this one. I'm not patient with very many of these anyways, but this one, I have no patience. Fault finders. You come to church, and all they can do is find faults. It's not hard to do. If you're looking for faults, you write a list. I've actually had times in this church while I'm preaching and people are taking notes, identifying faults in the sermon where they can confront me about them when I'm done. I'm like, that's why you came today. Bet you had a great worship time. Anyways, so there's those things. Uh, they continue, those types of things cause grief to Christ, they cause grief to a pastor, and they cause grief to genuine believers who make up the church. It don't just affect the pastor, it affects us all. Um, all right, thesis tonight. There comes a time, I think churches in general are not good at this, but there comes a time when troublemakers must go. There, there's an end, there's a cutoff. I know most church signs say all are welcome, but there comes a time when some people are not. Uh, why, why would you say it that way? So that those who are genuine may be able to flourish. We give all our attention to the troublemaker. Well, the person's not a troublemaker, 
needs to be fed too. They need to be encouraged, but troublemakers seem to pull all the attention to themselves. And so, and sometimes somebody's got to be wise enough to say, this is too distracting, it's over, these people matter way more. You've got to go in order that these sheep can be fed. All right, point number one, squeaky wheels. The old adage, the squeaky wheel gets grease, is true. That squeaky wheel causes a lot of attention. The wheel that doesn't need grease doesn't get any attention. Troublemakers are exhausting. They're exhausting. Now, my text here in verse 17, you see, says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble. Uh, maybe a better translation of this Greek phrase is this. I don't know if this is better, but I, I like it. Within the time that remains, that's what this phrase is saying, within the time that remains, let no one interfere with me. When I hear it said that way, my mind races back to the Old Testament. It races back to a, a man, they, they keep saying, come meet with us, come meet with us, come meet with us, come meet with us. He's like, I'm doing a good thing, and I'm not coming down. I'm doing what's right, and I'm not meeting with you. We're done here, Sanballat. I got time for you. Hey, this is Paul. It's like, look, with the time that remains, stop causing me trouble. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And Paul's not doing anything wrong here. So why should I waste all my time with this? just going to keep being faithful to what God's called me to do. I sense that what is what Paul's saying. Martin Luther, uh, not a direct quote here, but he says, Martin Luther says, either walk according to the rule I have set forth in this letter or perish forever. Either be saved by grace and live by grace or go to hell. And I can't alter this message. William Hendrickson, I sometimes read, sometimes he's got a little stuff, but this here I think is good. He says, troublesome churches and also troublesome individuals at times forget that while their own misbehavior is bad enough in itself, while their own misbehavior is bad enough in itself, they also deprive others of the attention that could have been bestowed upon them. The troublemaker is sucking all the energy out of the room, and these other people are not being ministered to like they could be ministered to. Besides, on the part of the person who must set them straight, they require energy that is exhausting. If I track back through my ministry here over the course of the years, when is it that I was most exhausted? when troublemakers were running rampant. And so you're constantly, there's never a break. The burden's always there. There's always these things going on. And quite simply, it just wears a man out. And you're like, I just wish I could get through this where I could enjoy fellowship with the people who are not troublemakers. I would love to have a, hey, you want to have a meeting this week? Let's have a meeting and let's just enjoy one another's company. Amen. But it's like, Every meeting you have over the years is only to solve a problem. Problem, 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 problem. You know, the other day, where's, where's Rory? The rapture happened and Rory's the only one that made it. Rory comes in and drinks coffee with me. No agenda. No reason. We just sat down and talked. We enjoyed one another's company. He left and I thought, wow, we should have had a string of those meetings. 
We prayed. We went on about our day. He went to work. I went to work. Great day. That's rare. But we ought to be able to experience some of that. But it's like the trouble people won't allow that in some regard. Let me give it to you from a different perspective. In Luke 13, he says, he says in Luke 13, 7, he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree. I keep working with this guy, working with this guy, and working with this guy, expecting fruit. And I don't find nothing after these years. Cut it down. Just cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? I'm not wasting any more energy on this tree. Luke 13, 7. Effort is given to teach, to preach, to counsel, to demonstrate what genuine, satisfying Christianity looks like. But when these things are not received, there comes the time to say, look, maybe you need to go find something somewhere else. I don't have anything else to offer. Not long ago, I met a guy I was in conversation with, and I said, we're still doing the same thing. We're still doing the same thing. And he never came. Maybe the same thing wasn't enough for him. Fine. If you're not going to receive it, whatever it is you're looking for, maybe you need to find it somewhere else. Troublemakers are exhausting. Troublemakers come in all shapes, and fashions, and forms. Now, there are those, I give you a kind of a list of these, kind of in the introduction as well. There are those who are doctrinally divisive. It seems like no matter what is preached, they're always divisive about that doctrine and want to argue about a doctrine. It's always an argument with them. You can never be happy with any doctrine. Then there's those that I've already mentioned who are drama queens, make drama, invent drama just for the sake of attention. It's like they want attention, which tells you what? They have the whole thing wrong. We're here for Christ and for Christ's glory, and people keep generating drama to get attention for themselves. And there are those who would throw away the truth that they claim to have received. Simply, they go back to the world. They say, I received this, and they just go away. This is a problem because you have to pursue, you have to call, you have to text, you have to plead, you have to do all these things because they're the right things to do. It takes a lot of energy. And many times, there's no fruit from it. There's those who have carnal ambitions. And they get in the way of genuine, humble service to the church. There are those who profess Christ but have no commitment to serve the Lord's church. There are those who just plain lazy, not lift a finger to help in any way, yet they claim they love Christ. There are those who have a critical fault-finding spirit they love to talk about the faults they have found. It's probably the biggest one to me, but fault finders never seem to be able to express joy. There's always something wrong. There's something wrong with the music. There's something wrong with the piano. There's certainly something wrong with the drums. There's something wrong with the way the pastor dresses. He shouldn't wear a tie. He should wear a tie. He's too big. He's too little. He's too tall. He's too short. There's always something. And you look at their face and you're like, have you ever been happy a day in your life? All you do is find fault. At what point do you experience joy in the Lord? At what point do you leave church saying, wow, sure was great to be in the house of God today. Fault finders never seem to experience that. So the faithful pastor, I think, the Apostle Paul, any faithful pastor, says something like this, especially if he's been somewhere a long time. 
He says something like this. With the time that remains, stop bothering me. Don't interfere with me. Stop causing me trouble. That's what Paul says. In effect, the genuine local pastor says this. It's just bullet statements. The, the local pastor says, the Bible is preached every week here. The example of Christianity is being lived out in the congregation before your eyes. The exaltation of Christ is our primary concern. We want to make much to do about Christ. The grace of the Lord is the centerpiece of our gospel. It's all grace. The practical opportunity for evangelism and missions, it's just always going on around here. People do this, people do this, we go here, we go there. There's always opportunities to take the gospel out into the world. The intercession for brothers and sisters is genuine. We pray for people by name, individually, every Wednesday night. We record praises when the prayers are answered. We do this. We're not the best prayers in the world. We're not the most super spiritual. But we regularly intercede for men and women in this church week after week because we believe that God hears us when we pray. Thus, enough's enough. If you don't like that scenario, then go find another scenario. Don't cause any more trouble. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is our DNA. This is our makeup. I think, by the way, I think it says it on the sign, by the word. This is what the church is formulating from. This is where we derive everything we do. At least that's what we attempt. You say, okay, then... Get on board and enjoy Christ. Enough is enough. This is what Paul is saying. Do not be the squeaky wheel. Do not continually be the one who is in the midst of conflict. You ever met one of those people? Everywhere I go, there's a conflict. Maybe you should look in the mirror. Maybe you're the problem. But they never see that. It's always somebody else. But the conflict is always around them. Do not be the one who has to be begged week after week, text after text, to attend the church you made a covenant to be a part of. Do not be the one who never financially supports his own church and every week just robs from God, robs from God, robs from God, and then wonders why the air conditioner's not turned down two more degrees. Because we can't afford it, because you won't give. Don't be that one. Just give as the Lord has shown you to give. Be a joy to your pastor. Be a joy to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Simply be a Christian who reflects the name of your Savior. Just be Christian and love Christ, love one another, love the truth, and live out Christianity to the best of your ability. Enough is enough. Number two, scars witness. So we had squeaky wheels, scars witness. And this is what Paul says, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Bastazo is a word for carry, to sustain a burden, to carry something. It, this is not taking up space just to make a, a statement here. The issue is circumcision, cutting away of the flesh. Now we're going to talk about marks or scars. You want to talk about the scar or the mark of circumcision. I want to talk about the marks or the scars that I bear on my body. I bear them throughout my life. So this is Paul. These are the, 
These are the marks that I bear. The Greek word is stigma. Uh, It is also the word you can use for tattoo. Paul had tattoos. It's just that he got them differently than most of you got yours. His tattoos were put on his body with rocks thrown at him for preaching. His tattoos were put on him because he was whipped with lashes 39 times minus one. His, his scars were put on him in a different method than you got your tattoo. This is different than circumcision. All of his marks were persecution for the gospel. In F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, uh, in contrast to the, new, the now irrelevant mark of circumcision, Paul asserts that he has marks on his body which means something very real. Scars, which he has acquired, is the direct consequence of his service to Jesus. You could also say, you could take the word this way, slaves were marked to who they were owned by. It could mean that here. Paul certainly proves his slavery to his master, King Jesus. All of his scars identify him as one who is in submission to Christ. Martin Luther, again, uh, these are not the marks of my own procuring, Paul would say, but they're laid upon me against my will by the world and the devil for no other cause but that I preach Christ. That's why I have these scars. Paul is most likely referring to his first missionary journey, others as well, but the contrast, if you look back up in 6 and verse 13, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They're boasting in this flesh of yours of getting circumcision. But Paul boast in scars inflicted upon him as a result of being identified with Christ. There's different types of boasting here. Now, William Hendrickson, one more time, the troublemakers gloried in the flesh of the Gentiles who got circumcised, but Paul, in effect, is saying this, I, too, have marks or scars, namely those that link me with my Savior, Remember that, Galatians, remember that, Galatians, and be reminded that when, because of departure from the faith, you trouble me, you are grieving my Savior, whose ambassador I am. Great contrast in what's being boasted of. And there's a lot of texts that we could look at. I'll just give you a couple marks or scars for Paul. 1 Corinthians 4, 9. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. 1 Corinthians 4.11, to the present hour, we hunger and we thirst. We're poorly dressed, we're buffeted, and we're homeless. 2 Corinthians 6, 4, but as slaves of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, and calamities. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, are they slaves of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. 
with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. In Acts 14, 19, first missionary journey, the Jews came from Antioch to Iconium, and they persuaded the crowds. They stoned Paul. They dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. This man, the Apostle Paul, is saying to the region of Galatia, look, enough's enough. I've lived my life. I bear the scars of Christianity. I've laid out the truth. Either receive this and walk in accord with this, or it's time to move on. Application-wise, I don't know. It's a weird world we live in, but Marks are made in different ways. Scars come in different forms. Uh, Emotional scars, physical scars, the like. What marks do you bear that identify you as a Christian? You know, what are we supposed to say? You know, nobody in here has been whipped 40 lashes minus one or, you know, stone left for dead. But it is a mark. It leaves a scar when your family's done with you. Sticks with you and you can't get rid of it. And it hurts because of your stand. Separation from your own family. Maybe a daughter. Maybe a son. Maybe a grandson or a granddaughter. You're separated. It's a scar you bear because you wouldn't compromise and validate their gender change. They wrote you off because you wouldn't come to their homosexual wedding. You didn't want to support such an abomination. Now you're separated and you bear this scar. You can't have fellowship with them no more. Separation from co-workers. You can't do anything with them. You can't go anywhere with them. You can't have conversation with them because you made your stand for Christ. You can't laugh at their jokes because they're not funny. And you can't ridicule the name of Christ and make light of it because you love Christ too much. And so you, you're kind of the oddball out scar you have to bear every day you go to work. Isolation, uninvited, solitude, avoidance, and such, such things seem to be the course of how others relate to you because of gospel fidelity. Because you're faithful to the gospel, these scars come and they stay for your whole life. It, I don't know if you're grabbing this. I don't know if you experience it or not. I, just, I hope you grab this because when, when this happens, this is the thing, then church becomes precious. See, see when, you, when you live with that out there and all of the pain, the scars that come, then when you come on Sunday and you have other brothers and sisters that go through the same thing and they love you, church becomes sweet to be around people who get you. Because those people out there don't get me. They don't understand. They don't understand how I think. They don't understand what I'm going through. They don't understand my joy. They don't understand nothing. But here in this room, there can be some unity, and there can be some tears, there can be some rejoicing, there can be some laughter, because we're walking down the same road. And I take it personal when somebody does something in this group that causes trouble. And won't no wolf causing trouble to you. 
Because you're important. You're sheep. You deserve to be fed. You deserve to be loved. You deserve to be cared for. Paul understood this. Do not be an American Christian. Do not be an American Christian. Don't go around bragging about the size of your church, bragging about your music program. That's one of the number one bragging points of most. Brag about carnal gimmicks in your church. Brag about nickels, noses, and the money, amount of money your church has. Boast in the cross. Boast in unity of theology and doctrine. Boast in the fellowship that you have with genuine brothers and sisters in Christ. Boast in those things that bring glory unto God. Lastly, it is a sincere word that Paul gives to the churches of Galatia. It's a sincere word that I'm giving to you. Just like he began, you can glance over there if you like, in verse 3, chapter 1. And you remember the beginning of this book, or maybe you don't, but we look in verse 3 and we find he starts his letter, grace to you. And we come to the end of the book, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We start with grace, we end with grace, and if you understand the content in between the whole book, it was all grace. Even the confrontation of the troublemakers was an act of grace on the behalf of the Lord's church. It is, this, it is as if Paul said, I have taught you Christ purely. I have entreated you. I have chided you. I have let pass nothing which I thought would be profitable for you. Martin Luther, that's the way he saw it. Paul's like, I've done all that I know to do to be profitable for you. If you give them a pure gospel, if they choose to depart from it, that's on them. That's on them. Paul has preached straight. He's pleaded sincerely. He's exposed the era of troublemakers. He's demonstrated what true fruit is. And he has consistently put the gospel under the banner of grace. Not by works, not by works, not by works, not by circumcision, not by circumcision. No. Grace, 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 grace. We live by grace. We're saved by grace. It's all been that in Paul's preaching. Now, here's what happens. If you get involved in church life sometimes and you do church discipline or the pastor does this or the church takes a position against some movement in the world and everybody starts condemning the person or the church because of the position they took. Oh, this church took a position of abolition, blah, blah, blah. This church did this. This church did that. This pastor did this. This pastor did the other. Paul has laid out the truth from a right heart and a right motive with the exaltation of Christ and the magnification of grace. Apostasy in this region under this letter, apostasy is the fault of the hearer. It's not Paul's fault. Heresy is the fault of the hearer. They didn't get heresy from Paul. Inconsistency is the fault of the hearer. He didn't model inconsistency. He didn't teach inconsistently. Any inconsistency by these troublemakers is their own fault. Hurt feelings are the fault of the hearer. Paul's not trying to hurt somebody's feelings or be just mean or rude. He's doing the very best he can for their soul. If their feelings are hurt, that's on them. Thus, 
leave Paul alone and deal with the truth he has set before us. Don't call him a male chauvinist. Don't take up some issue and say a label and throw it on Paul. You got no right. He's laid out gospel truth. Leave him alone. And he says, the grace of our Lord be with you, with your spirit. And then he inserts this word. You don't find it in some of the closings of his letters. But here, brothers. It's like random word. Just stop after the comma, brothers. It's inserted why? I, I believe it's inserted intentionally, of course. It's inserted why? To show them the love that he has for them. Brothers, family, unity, love for the church. The Greek word, at least lexically, a person views a brother in terms of a close affinity, fellow member, very close associate, walking in parallel. In Mexico, Tony, you need to learn this, but in Mexico, we say hermano if the brother is a Christian. If he's not a Christian, he's a guy on the street and they don't know the Lord, amigo. We're very distinct about those words. You don't call an unbeliever a brother. The only way you get the title brother is to be in the Lord. Paul understood that, not that it's Spanish, but it's the same concept. Calling them brothers because they are in Christ. I would also say in a letter with great affection for the church, great love for them, great care for their souls, he also has justifiable anger and justifiably a broken heart for those who are teaching falsehood and for those who would follow falsehood. But he dearly cares for the brothers. And I think that's the way it ought to be. And then we get to the last word, which is amen. (laughs) Seems fitting. I don't know what's wrong with Baptists in general. But according to F.F. Bruce, this last word, it would form the congregation's response to the reading of this letter. It would be pleasant to think that a well-meant and hearty amen was forthcoming in all the congregations where this letter's read. God gets up, he reads the letter, he stops with brothers, and the whole church says, amen. Certainly, I can tell you, certainly, because I, I know a particular church with a particular guy in my mind, I have zero interest in the mindless amens of undiscerning individuals. Hey, you had a good day at church. Amen. Hey, man, that's a great word. Amen. Church youth building burnt down. Amen. Look, dude, Really? Think through your amen a bit. You don't amen the building burning down. It'd be like Caleb at that church. He counted the number of times that guy said amen. I don't know what the count was, but it was off the chart, dude. I'm not interested in none of that. But why is there not in a church where truth is proclaimed and laid out, why is there not a more robust every now and then Amen. I, I, don't, I don't get the opportunity. But when I do get the opportunity, I think it drives people crazy. I go to Jeff Noblet's True Church Conference. I used to go there. Or I'm going to go up to Arkansas to Harold Smith's conference. Somebody preaches truth. I'm the guy in the room you hear on the video in the back. Amen. 
I love to hear truth. I, I mean, I want to validate truth. I, I mean, look, and people cheer for everything else. When somebody says, Christ substituted in my place, paid my sins, and set me free, I'm the guy saying, amen. When I hear this letter read and I see the grace of Christ, I'm like, oh, pick me, pick me, pick me. I'm waiting for it. Call on me, call on me. Amen. So we get to the end. Thus, let all the church say, Praise the Lord, we got it. We got it. Don't have to be attention seeking. You don't have to be drama seeking. Amens ought to be genuine because you're processing the truth and you're genuinely saying amen to the truth. Not amen to the preacher, his style, his oratory. He can be monotone for all I care. You can say something monotone. Jesus died for you, rose from the dead, he lives forevermore. If you repent and believe, you can be saved. Amen. Whatever the case, you're caught in the truth and you want to affirm that you believe that. Well, in conclusion, the never-ending reality of church life is that, well, there's always going to be troublemakers. <laughs> I mean, you might as well work with it while we're doing it, right? This is not heaven, in case you didn't know. There ain't no perfect churches in the world. No matter how much work is done, no matter how much work is done, there's always going to be someone wanting to cause trouble. Now remember that verse in Corinthians, chapter 11. There must be factions among you in order that that which is genuine may be recognized. There's a purpose to troublemakers. It'll help you be a little stronger in what you believe. Troublemakers will come and go, but those who are genuine continue to press on in the truth what they believe and what they love for the good of their own souls. Now, Hopefully, hopefully, as the pastor matures, I hope he's maturing, and the congregation gets healthier over time, I hope that's the case, that in a length of time, troublemakers in the assembly not only decrease in number, they decrease on the length of time they stay. A healthy church just won't allow troublemakers to maintain existence comfortably. Healthy church members begin to recognize those who are walking to the beat of a different drummer, and they agree with Paul, and they say something like this, Galatians 1.8, Even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you another gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. They speak directly, they speak truthfully, and they will not tolerate troublemakers. Yes, if a wolf comes in, a pastor ought to confront him. Yes, if there's a wolf attacking the flock, leadership ought to do something with it. But in a very real sense, when the church is healthy, there's a lot of people that are healthy that can rebuke a wolf that comes in the room. Healthy church members lose patience with troublemakers. They speak to them directly. You're not going to do that here. We're not having it. They say something like Paul said in this book. Say very directly. I quote from the NET because it makes it more graphic. I wish those agitators would go so far as to castrate themselves. That's pretty straight language. Not mean, not trying to cause trouble, not trying to be 
bashing someone. But when you love something, you will not tolerate those that would cause them harm. That's the position a pastor ought to have. It's the position church members ought to have. That our love for one another would be so strong that if somebody's causing pain to one of our brothers or one of our sisters, we're not putting our head in the dirt and letting it go. Not, we're not coming to church looking for a fight. But if you bring one, you're not going to let it go. Oh, so much to say. If you don't know how good that stuff is, go to churches where they don't confront wolves. I was in them my whole life. Well, that's the end of Galatians. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for the book of Galatians. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for so many great truths he has told us. May we read this book often, meditate on its great truths, and may we become healthier because of it. Lord, now as we, here in the future, the near future, transition to the Old Testament, may we become a little bit wiser as we work our way through the book of Proverbs. Lord, as these men and women go out this week into this world, I pray they'd love Christ and the decisions they make, the actions they perform would prove their love for you. And also, Lord, I pray that we will continue to live being overwhelmingly thankful for the grace you have shown us, saving us, sanctifying us, and giving us truth. So, Lord... Into your hands I commit by the word Baptist Church. May they make you proud this week. May they live for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.